Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and today on our panel, we have Josh Adams. How goes? And today we have a special guest, Griffin Byatt. Griffin, can you say hi? Hey there. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So we invited you on to talk about a few different things, mainly as uh, information around security, security analysis of Phoenix applications, and a library you've written to that effect. But before we get into all that, could you just give us a little background about kind of where you came from professionally and, and what you're doing? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I guess just a little about me. Um, I, uh, I used to do web development um, back in the day. And so that's kind of how I found Elixir. I was doing uh, like Django and Rails applications. Uh, so I think I found Elixir uh, the same way just about everyone else did, which is just looking for something that felt uh, more right. Um, and then for the last uh, three or four years, I've been doing uh, security as well. Uh, and for the last three years, I've been a security consultant at NCC Group. Now, I thought that was an interesting idea of, you know, doing being a security consultant, and because Elixir is is a fairly new language, right? And and so you know, I knew a lot of security consultants. You know, they had their their uh, I don't know background with Java or Rails or something like that. So I thought it was really cool though that you had this Elixir um, experience and interest. So I'm just curious as to how. Uh, how you ended up being both a security consultant and, and like doing Elixir at the same time. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I guess, like I said, I, I used to do development. Um, so that part was kind of natural. Uh, and when I found Elixir, for whatever reason, I was just like, I want to know everything uh, about this language. And then with Phoenix, it was kind of the same thing. Uh, and, you know, that's just sort of a natural um, a natural place for security to come from. Just the more you know, the more you can uh, find. Yeah. And so with NCC Group, what kinds of, like if, if I'm a, uh, a business and I need to, uh, so at, before the show, we, we were talking about how a lot of times security is a primary concern when people are dealing with a compliance environment, either PCI or SOC 2 or something. There are other regulations that require you have certain practices in place. And so I was just curious, like for NCC group, what kinds of uh, customers do they have? Who would like, if I have a, a, a business, would they be an appropriate person to turn to for help? Yeah. So, you know, I can't obviously speak to like 
specific clients, but uh, you know, NCC is just a huge company. So basically, if you have a security need, uh, NCC Group is a company that you can turn to. Um, specifically, uh, I do a lot of like application security, um, web applications and iOS application security. Um, so it's not um, it's not your uh, I guess traditional like checkboxes compliance kind of thing. Um, it's you know heavy code review, um, design review, and things like that. Awesome. And so I know one of the the library that got my attention most was a library you wrote, which is under the NCC Group GitHub account, but it's called Sobelow. So I was wondering if you could give us uh, a little background as to what this library is and kind of how it came into being. Sure. Um, so I guess how it came into being, uh, NCC Group, uh, one of the cool things about working with the company is you get uh, dedicated research time. Um, so, uh, you know, during that time, you can kind of work on whatever you want, whatever interests you. Um, so uh, as part of my research time, I was looking at Elixir and looking at Phoenix. Um, and so the more that I was looking at it, the more I was recognizing common vulnerabilities uh, and also uh, you know, naturally realized that there was no, uh, no tooling in the space for um, just automated scans. Uh, and so you know, as someone had done Rails development in the past, I was familiar with Breakman and uh, kind of thought that it would be uh, good to build something in that space. I felt like that was something that was needed. Yeah, I really appreciate it. We use it on a project that's on hold right now, but we have it running on CI for every PR, and it's uh, super duper nice to see the report. I don't know that we're failing the build yet, but we're recording the report every time. Nice. So one of the questions I had when first, so a little background on my personal experience with Sobelow. So it's spelled S-O-B-E-L-O-W in case someone's listening to this, but it, the link to this is in the show notes. But so I was in a, at a company where we had compliance, PCI compliance specifically. And one of the requirements in a PCI environment is that you have automated security scans of your code and or a regular security scan. So either you're paying someone to come in or you have dedicated personnel who are doing security audits regularly or you have like an automated tool. And when you're working in a fast development environment where you have... Um, you know, continuous integration, continuous deployment, you really want that to be uh, as automated as possible and to happen with every commit. And so Sobelow came out at just the right time. Like it, it solved a problem for me, and which was if we, in order to be able to say, yes, we can use Elixir in this and have this level of compliance, we need to have some kind of security scan automated. And it checked that box. Additionally, it also found some security issues that we had in the code, which was welcome find. I mean, I'm just curious if you could kind of talk a little bit about how Sobelow actually works. Is I assume it's a, it's, it says it's a static analysis. Is that using like regular expressions or is it, you know, kind of how does that, uh, how is it looking for problems in our code? Yeah, sure. Um, so this is actually, um, yes, this, in this answer, uh, covering a little bit about why Elixir is cool as well. Um, so one, uh, it walks the AST, um, so the abstract syntax tree, um, looking for uh, different kinds of vulnerabilities. Um, one of the nice things about 
uh, Elixir being a functional language and not having just arbitrary state everywhere is that you can kind of look, uh, you know, not always, but for the most part, you can look at each function as a sort of microcosm. So if you see, uh, you know, a file.read function and it's taking in some arbitrary variable, um, you don't really have to look all over the place to trace down where it came from. You know, if you're in the controller, uh, and you see that it comes from the params, you know that there's like a directory traversal there. Um, if it's calling some other function, you think maybe it's vulnerable, but uh, with less certainty. Um, so I think that's, I guess, sort of a roundabout way of saying uh, it does it both uh, more complex than regular expressions, uh, but still uh, pretty simple uh, just because of the, uh, the nature of Elixir. Do you have one particular heuris heuristic that's in Sobolo that would be like, a really solid one to look at for an example of how it's implemented. Um, so the uh, when I was building Sobolo, the intention uh, was to make it uh, first and foremost really modular, um, since a lot of the time it's built in you know my spare time or in uh, uh, the research time that I'm given with NCC Group. Um, so each module uh, is uh, kind of uh, really simple to understand on its own. Um, so there's none in particular, uh, but it's really easy to just like trace the functionality. Cool, thanks. And you in the show notes, we should have a a link for like to the file module uh, that kind of shows how it does some of that traversal, which I think is interesting. I was just glancing at it; it's awesome. Uh, so one of the other questions I had is like, what kinds of vulnerabilities um, are are you? You work with a lot of web app, web applications, right? So there's a lot of common mistakes. Um, are those, are the common mistakes that you'd see in a PHP or a Django or a Java app, are they the same kinds of mistakes you're seeing in Elixir or does Elixir have a few, uh, like a different flair or kind of different things that you look for? So, you know, by and large, for sure, it's very common uh, to find the same vulnerabilities across different languages or different frameworks. Um, you know, directory traversal is going to be the same uh, everywhere. Uh, but each language also does have its own unique uh, areas where people can mess up. So, you know, PHP, you've got the type coercion where uh, a double equal sign can can mean someone gets access to just an arbitrary session or something like that. Um, Elixir, fortunately, um, doesn't have uh, issues that severe, uh, especially anymore. Um, but, you know, you do see the... Um, uh, Elixir specific things like denial of service via uh, atom creation. So any of the string to atom or to term sort of functions uh, can cause denial of service. Um, something that I have noticed is that for whatever reason, uh, Phoenix applications seem to have more directory traversal um, than uh, just arbitrary applications. Uh, and I think that might have something to do with just how nice and easy it is to handle files with the with the framework, um, and it's nothing really Elixir specific. And then uh, I guess outside of that, of course, there's the uh, just Beam related things. So um, uh, something that I, I notice a lot, and so this isn't necessarily in like an Elixir or an Erlang application itself, uh, but if there's a larger deployment and Erlang just plays a small part in it. Um, where maybe some they're not, whoever's deploying it isn't necessarily aware of the functionality. Uh, I do notice uh, the remote code execution issues with 
uh, having, you know, an exposed magic cookie uh, and just the EPMD port just wide open. So uh, they're basically clustering when they're not intending to. Interesting. And is that just because maybe they're not running behind a firewall and have it properly locked off? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the heart of any security issue is uh, you expect something to work one way and it doesn't work that way. Um, and so uh, when you're working with a language that you have no I- idea what it's doing, uh, you can run into issues like that. Hmm. So one of the the issues you mentioned there was um, Adam uh, with the denial of service by, you know, converting user input into an Adam. So uh, this is a, a thing that I, I'm glad to see there's enough attention, I think, where people keep hearing about it as, as people come and join the Elixir. But I think it's worth talking about it again, just to kind of understand what's going on here. So uh, like one of the things to understand is in the beam, you have an Adam lookup table, which is a, an index of all of the atoms that are defined in your application and it is not garbage collected. And so the hazard is when you're taking like what you were talking about, user provided data and doing like an atom to string on it, or I'm sorry, string to atom. And uh, then, it, you know, making user defined data become a new atom. And that becomes added to your the global lookup table and it is not garbage collected for the whole duration that your application is running. And if someone was malicious and they keep causing new atoms to be created, it will eventually run out of memory and crash the whole beam. So, I mean, is that, um, is that a fair uh, statement of how that works? Yeah, really well said. <laughs> All right. And so I, I, I love uh, some of the other uh, things that you're that Sobolo is kind of uh, looking for, and some of them I think was they're worth mentioning here, like SQL injection. Even with Ecto, I think um, some people still maybe from habits from coming from other languages, they're still uh, may craft their own SQL. Is that where you kind of see that, or like is there something we should be looking out for? How we might be accidentally causing a SQL injection problem? So, I guess just to to plug the uh, Elixir web ecosystem uh, even more, there's really nothing you need to be looking out for there. Just, uh, I think I, I mentioned in my talk, it used to be really, 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 really hard to introduce SQL injection in your uh, Phoenix application. Um, there was some recent updates uh, that made it a little easier, uh, but it's still really, really hard. Um, so you have to be you know, explicitly introduce an issue uh, and just be basically leaving Ecto behind uh, to worry about SQL injection. Well, that's that is a, a really nice thing to hear. You know, just as someone, you know, because what I think is fascinating about the whole um, security kind of space is you have someone who, who is building an application with the mindset of I just want to make this work, and I just you know I'm just trying to get it to work and like accomplish a goal so I can move on to the next thing, and then you have a an adversarial perspective, which is, how can I make this break? And so it's nice when you can have that adversarial perspective in-house. So it's prior to a bad guy coming at you, uh, where that, that can be either through QA or uh, security tools or just having you know uh, occasional audits. But is there any advice that you would give to people about how they can try and uh, look at, these, at their code 
or you know when they're doing a review of someone else's code what kinds of things can i do to kind of take an adversarial look at something yeah um so i would say first and foremost i think the uh just intending to look at things like that uh is you know 90 percent of it um if you are writing code imagining uh that it could be broken somehow, or if you're reviewing code imagining that it could be broken, uh, then it's really easy to, to start seeing all of the different ways it could be. Um, the other 10% is just knowing that it's possible. Um, so, you know, someone who, uh, someone who's accepting like XML documents, who's never heard of XXE, and they just think that they're parsing a document, um, you know, they might not realize that they could be introducing uh, an arbitrary file read issue just because they've never heard of it. Uh, and taking an adversarial look at that code wouldn't necessarily um, tell them that that was something that they should be concerned about. Um, so the other part, so that last 10% is just, um, I guess, seeing a lot of stuff. Um, and so there's a book, uh, which I'll link to, uh, which is the Web Application Hacker's Handbook, uh, which covers, um, I mean, it's kind of like the web application security bible it is a uh, very in-depth it's an awesome book yeah and i would just point out that given the uh the typical uh disparity in trade-off value for time effort on the adversarial side versus the person writing the code side i feel like you really do need something like sobolo or some other automated method to at least have a fighting chance if someone actually wants to get you yeah and i think the the goal with Sobolo, um, which I guess I haven't mentioned yet, is just that all of the the kind of common issues uh, that you could run into um, should be something you don't have to worry about. So you know, if Sobolo is not returning um, any kind of warning about a potential XSS or a potential directory traversal, um, then you know there's a really really strong chance that you don't have anything to worry about uh, in that regard. Um, of course, there are a million ways that you could uh, circumvent that, but you'd have to try. Yeah, I think of it like a linter or the formatter. Like it's a thing that should be part of your development process from day one or very early days. And you should get it to the point that you don't have to pay attention to it until you do. And then that frees up your brain cycles to focus on actual things that maybe some general heuristic wouldn't catch that are problems in your app. Because if you're constantly worried about the little things it's hard to not get swamped right like it, it i think it's nice to have something like sobolo where you don't necessarily have to know that uh going into writing elixir that string to atom is going to cause problems this will flag that for you um and you can just focus on the the things that um that a, a scanner can't catch like logical issues um which is also the easier thing to uh to take an adversarial look at in your own code. So one of the things I think, you know, Josh was mentioning, you know, it's valuable to have this upfront as early as we can in a project. And if we have a continuous integration process, then that can be part of our automated tests. Um, I was, so as soon as we start talking about that, then, and we might want any security problems to, uh, you know, fail the build or the, or the tests. And then when that happens, you think, okay, well, what about those occasions where I have validated that, okay, well, it, 
the code couldn't tell that this is safe input and I'm doing a string to Adam and it's actually safe in this case and I need to, how do I flag something to say that this is validated and safe? You know, how, is there a way to do that? Sure. Um, so there's uh, a couple of different ways that you can approach that. Uh, and this is actually something that I'm, I'm working on uh, improving as well. Um, but there's a uh, first and most granularly, um, there's a kind of commenting decorator-like pattern uh, where you can um, basically leave a comment above uh, above a function that just says sobo sobolo skip, uh, and then an array of the different uh, module checks that you'd like to skip. So you can skip directory traversal for this function um, for whatever reason. Um, you can also uh, ignore classes of issues. Uh, so something that I think a lot of people probably end up ignoring is the uh, HTTPS check, um, because typically, I think in a common uh, deployment situation, uh, people are putting uh, uh, putting this behind some kind of, or putting a Phoenix application behind uh, some kind of TLS termination um, or reverse proxy. Um, so they don't have TLS configured, but they get it. Um, so you can, uh, there's an ignore flag, uh, and then you can also ignore specific files. Um, so there's a few different, few different options for doing that. Um, something that I'm working on currently, uh, it's an open issue, uh, but it's like a, a filter option so that uh, you can only, uh, so that it'll only hard exit on a certain threshold. So, um, so below defaults, um, well, not even defaults, it just, uh, anything that it thinks could possibly be a vulnerability, it'll let you know about just because uh, it wants to flag everything. Uh, because the basically a false positive is uh, way less of an issue than a false negative. Um, so uh, uh, that gives you a lot of low confidence uh, findings. So there's going to be uh, the thing that I'm working on now is a way to say, okay, only hard exit on uh, high confidence findings, which isn't necessarily uh, the best move to do necessarily. Um, but if you're really confident that all of the low confidence findings uh, aren't an issue, then you've got that as well. Nice. Yeah. And uh, I was noticing before we jumped on the call that you've had like the latest commit was five hours ago. So this seems to be something that's under active development. Are you the only one working on this? Is there is it a team? Like, how does that work? Uh, so I am uh, the core team. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I've got like 11 contributors uh, and there's a few people that have, uh, have made uh, multiple contributions. Um, but yeah, I usually wake up at like five and make a, a couple of commits. <laughs> so is this something like if, if I'm interested in security and I, um, I, I develop a new, I don't know, a, a new type of check to come at, and you, you've already built this in a very modular way. So I have the ability to add new ones. Are you open to uh, new commits, uh, new contributors? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm always happy to, to get a commit. Uh, usually that comes in the form of like a, a an edge case bug fix, um, but um, love help. Nice. Uh, I know also uh, having used so below that um, a lot of what it checks for was 
at first, initially, I had a little bit of difficulty getting it to analyze a umbrella application because things were split out. Like the Ecto wasn't in the top level app that it was looking for. And so, but I, I think that's all been resolved now. And, and if I remember, because I was using it like that, uh, but you could actually do like say, well, check this other app that doesn't have Phoenix, but it has Ecto, you know, check it for, you know, uh, any kind of anything that looks like SQL injection and all that. And so is, is it, do you feel like it, it works equally well with a, the single Phoenix app and an umbrella? So uh, yes and no. Um, so it's definitely built uh, for uh, just like a standard Phoenix application. Um, if you, uh, but if you scan each of your, you know, if you have an umbrella application with uh, three apps in it, if you scan each of them, uh, then it has worked equally well. Um, but the the process of having to scan all of them is a little bit annoying right now, uh, and is something that I'm. There's also an open issue for that, and I'm hoping to uh, address it. Yeah, but I would say if if it is a CI build, then that's a setup once you know to check these three apps. So. I think that's a, that's acceptable for now, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's it's been open. I think for about a year because I was like, ah, I mean, just do it three times. Yeah. Yep. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs. And this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash elixir. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. So some of the other things I think would be interesting for you to talk about would be like the security features that you, you see in, in Plug and Phoenix and kind of from a security standpoint, how do those work well and what, what do you like about them? Yeah, um, so I guess I, I sort of even touched upon this a little bit earlier, um, but the the Elixir web ecosystem, um, it just does a really good job of uh, preventing you from making the easy mistake. Um, so I mentioned with SQL injection that it's something that you really have to uh, force upon yourself uh, to be vulnerable to it, um, but there's even nice little features in, um, uh, like in Phoenix, uh, the fact that uh, just the default redirect doesn't allow you to uh, redirect to an external uh, app application or website uh, by default. Um, that's something that's, you know, not super critical, but is a, a nice to have. Um, and uh, I mean, these kind of, uh, this kind of functionality is just, sort of throughout uh, the code bases. So I guess as another example, um, I uh, this is something that I had asked uh, Jose and Chris about, um, was uh, a common vector for cross-site scripting. So I was 
uh, going to introduce a check for this in Sobelo, and I thought, you know, maybe see if it, if we can fix it upstream, and it just wouldn't be an issue at all. Um, but basically, a common issue that people have is they, uh, you know, they create a link with link to, and then they allow uh, anybody to put. Uh, they allow the users to uh, fill out what the link would be. So just say you're building a web application, users have profiles, they can input their website. So then the, uh, uh, the user puts in a JavaScript URI as their website, then if you click it, then you have cross-site scripting. Um, so I was gonna put a check for that, uh, and I brought it up in an issue, and they're like, okay, yeah, let's just fix this, and by default, we won't allow JavaScript URIs. Um, so there's some whitelist check for, uh, is this a, a non-offensive URI? So is it just like HTTP, HTTPS, or uh, some kind of a path? Um, so I think things like that are really cool. Yeah, that is actually really cool. So is that like default to not as sharp edges in some case, as opposed to trusting you to run with scissors? Sometimes you just don't need to run with scissors. Yeah, exactly. I think that's awesome that uh, you saw the opportunity to work with people upstream and to kind of cut off a whole class of bugs before they actually come out. So kudos to that one. And uh, so what are some of the other things that you think might still need work in the ecosystem where uh, we should maybe turn our attention? I think that uh, there's a, a few things, uh, and I've also got some like pet projects that aren't maybe as critical, um, but I think uh, the, the biggest thing for the ecosystem would be uh, actually validating um, you know, the, the security guarantees that, that are made from um, different like OTP, default OTP applications. Um, so like I was uh, mentioning uh, earlier, you know, the, the root of security issues is in just like believing that something functions one way uh, and then uh, not be like those, uh, those beliefs being uh, incorrect. Um, so I think that there's a lot of um, default functionality that comes with the OTP applications. Uh, and there was actually a talk um, that Bram gave that I think uh, is a pretty decent example of what I'm talking about, where uh, basically if you're using uh, the HTTP client module and you're making a request to uh, an HTTPS URL, um, it doesn't actually validate certificates or anything like that by default. Um, so I think that uh, the biggest thing that we could do in the ecosystem is one, addressing that where possible uh, and where it's not possible, uh, just documenting it. And I think some of that does, you kind of have to put on that adversarial hat, right? To, to kind of make a, take an actual conscious effort to look for those kinds of vulnerabilities or potential issues. Yeah, exactly. So I had a question just generally um, related to authentication, authorization. What, um, what are the most common mistakes that you see people do in that area? Because I feel like there's a lot. And uh, did you want to discuss sort of what your ideal setup looks like just because why wouldn't I get the, that uh, point of view when I have you here sitting in front of me? <laughs> so, uh, you know, the very most common issues are kind of um, – the lower severity, um, just not, uh, 
not as secure as it could be sort of issues. So um, the way that, uh, and so I talked about this a little bit in my, uh, my Elixir comp talk in 2017. Um, and it's as true today as it was then. Um, but, you know, if uh, the default session uh, for a plug application and so by extension Phoenix application is that it's just a signed, uh, a signed cookie that has some session state in it. Um, you know, the, the way that people tend to, to use that and validate it is by just like storing a user ID in there. Um, and then they check that user ID and they're like, great, this is a user or, you know, storing an admin flag in there or something. Um, so the problem with this is that it just, uh, one, it could be replayable, uh, two, um, you know, how do you actually log out of that? Cause the user ID isn't going to change. Um, so, uh, you create an issue where it's just like a, a session that's basically valid forever. Um, so again, that's kind of like a minimal issue, um, but it is an issue. Uh, and that would be the most common thing. Okay. Uh, so one other thing I wanted feedback on, uh, because I know that I did this incorrectly quite a bit, uh, OAuth. So I know that I, uh, that my initial OAuth setups were were bad i learned as i was reading the oauth spec so um i didn't know if you did run into run into that just just poorly thought out oauth strategies um so uh for oauth i mean there are uh i mean there's i guess a million ways that you can go wrong there and it's just it, it has everything to do with just like really following the specification i think um a lot type stuff team tends to come up um, a lot with the uh, the Elixir community just because uh, the most some of the most popular and robust um, authentication uh, providers uh, or provider libraries out there currently are um, you know like Guardian with OAuth and JWTs and things like that. Um, so uh, I guess I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily say that there's like something that's super common, uh, but it is something, um, but there are, I mean, I just, a lot of issues that come up with OAuth just because it is a complex specification. Okay, good enough. I'm always okay with go read the spec. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a super satisfying answer, uh, but there is, you know, once you, uh, once you know what you need, uh, cause you don't, you don't need the entire specification, uh, but once you have the, uh, the piece that you need uh, following that to a T is, is where, it, where it has to happen. So in that uh, kind of explanation, you, you mentioned Guardian as a library that uh, is available in the Elixir community. Are there any other libraries that you recommend uh, that would maybe be a, a good best practice to start with? Anything like that? There is an authentication library that I looked at that I actually quite like. Um, it's by the guy that did come on in. Let me find it real quick. Ah, uh, yes. So it's by River Run. Uh, it's called, uh, well, I don't know if I can pronounce it, but like Foth, Foxed, uh, Foth. It's a, uh, it's an authentication library that's fairly minimal. Uh, if you're used to something that's, uh, or at least what it was when I looked at it, um, if you're used to something really full featured, uh, but I like it. It looks secure. It's by the guy that did, uh, you know, come on in, which is the 
the password hashing library. Um, I think I probably betrayed the fact that I just always roll my own authentication for my Elixir side projects, which I think that there's a lot of a lot of uh, largely solid guides out there uh, to help you do that, and it's easy enough. I'm actually really glad that you recommended Foth. Um, I pronounce it Foth. Uh, I know I know David, the guy that wrote it. And it's it's really good, and I've used it in a couple of iterations. It's kind of changed API a pretty good bit, but I feel like it's it's pretty stable now. It's definitely if anybody asks for a library, that is my go-to recommendation. That is a great resource to have, and because it is a difficult thing to pronounce, it is in the show notes, and it starts with a P H A U X T H. So. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that either. <laughs> on a on a not at all elixir related note, I'm just curious. Uh, do you have thoughts on SAML as a as an authentication method? Because my thoughts are, I hate it every time I've dealt with it. Uh, so I actually don't look at uh, haven't had to look at SAML uh, much uh, for security purposes. Um, but as a an ex developer who's had to had to deal with it, I just agree. I hate it. OAuth is a much nicer specification. So one of the things you mentioned is like that you have this um, allocated time to work on things like this, like Sobolo. If you can speak to it, I'd just be curious about like what some of your other time is done. Is that like uh, consulting for companies? Uh, you know, what, what kind of activities are you doing as a security analyst? Yeah, so my... Uh, my job is outside of the free time where I get to do fun things like this uh, is uh, exclusively in uh, you know consulting for companies. Uh, so it's uh, basically looking at their web applications, uh, iOS applications, networks, things like that, um, and uh, finding vulnerabilities and telling them how to fix them. Uh, so it's a uh, very traditional uh, security consulting work. Um, so I don't know if there's anything exciting in there that you'd want to know about. Well, as part of that, uh, identifying things and teaching people like, Hey, this is, you made this mistake. It's a, you know, it's excusable, but here's how you fix it. You know, trying to be nice to him, not make him feel stupid. Uh, but I, I, I wonder if there's any recommendations you have for resources, training, anything like that. Um, I know there's the OWASP foundation, like there's a, like I've gone through security training multiple times and we're always looking at like the OWASP top, top 10. So I was just wondering what kind of resources you might recommend for people, point them to. I really think that everybody should be reading uh, the web application hackers handbook. If you're building web applications, if you're interested in uh, breaking web applications, it's really just an invaluable resource. Um, and, you know, if you're a developer, uh, I think, you know, my recommendation would be read it. You don't necessarily have to understand everything that's happening in there, but it's the, uh, I guess it's the, uh, it's that last 10% that I was talking about earlier, where if uh, once you've learned that something's possible, then you can avoid it in your own code. That looks really interesting. I'll have to take a look at that book. Because like, like you said, even though I'm not looking at it from the perspective of a security analyst, just knowing that, oh, there is a, this class of vulnerability exists over here and see some examples about how that works just to make, raises my awareness. So I can be a better developer in that way. Sounds like something that just makes a good reference manual or reference guide. 
yeah, it's, it is really a great resource and uh, I, I recommend it to everybody. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about or mention before we go to picks? Uh, so I guess one last thing I'd like to say is, you know, I really think that the, uh, the Elixir and Phoenix core teams are uh, just awesome uh, when dealing with security issues. Uh, you know, I do a lot of just independent research and try to find vulnerabilities in all the different things. Uh, and every time I bring anything up to them, they're great. Um, so I guess just a kudos to them. That is good to hear, especially as just a member of that community. So I appreciate that they are responsive and, and that uh, you're able to reach out and have that avenue of, of, of making any kind of reports like that. That's awesome. It's nice to know they have our back. Uh, really appreciate the thing. One of the things that brought me to functional programming was the getting rid of classes of bugs. So knowing that that's happening sort of at the core library levels too is very nice and seems like an extension of like that philosophy that I like. All right. Well, let's go to picks. Josh, did you have one you wanted to share? I have a, uh, a series of related ones. Uh, the first thing I was going to mention was this service called Librem One. It's from the folks at Librem who make this uh, Purism line of laptops. And they are open source software loving people. They have core boot on them. They have uh, separate USB security keys that can ensure that the BIOS hasn't been tampered with. It's really cool. And they have hardware switches on things like the Wi-Fi and the GPS and the Bluetooth. Um, anyway, so really cool uh, line of laptops. I don't have one, but they're on my list. But the thing I'm really excited about from the Librem folks is a thing called the Librem 5, which is an, a Linux phone, basically. Um, I had the Nokia N900, and it was one of my favorite things. And sadly, it just kind of nothing came to replace it. Uh, largely because Microsoft bought Nokia at exactly the wrong time for me, but that's another story. <laughs> so anyway, so um, yeah, there's this thing called the Librem 5, and uh, it should be coming out third quarter. But uh, just watching this, this company works very much in the open on their GitLab. Their issues are like public issues about product direction that are very open to conversation, and they, have all, they do all the work out in the open. It's just really nice to see it. Uh, they're making the GNOME ecosystem better because they're building everything on top of that. And uh, yeah, I'm an open source zealot and I'm really happy that they're doing this. So I wanted to show people. And the Librem one is just a sort of hosted services like um, I just signed up and they have a Mastodon uh, service and they do uh, matrix chat. And there's other stuff you can pay for, but I haven't done that yet. Anyway, just really cool. Wanted to show people. Awesome. All right. I had a couple. Um, let's see. You know, so the first one was just recently at the time of this recording, uh, Elixir 1.9.0 release candidate zero came out. And so I just appreciate that this is the march forward towards the release of 1.9.0. The major new feature uh, in this release is the bundling of releases into Elixir core which is the ability to create an Elixir or Ecto, I'm sorry, an OTP release, which is compiling so that it can deploy as a package that contains the runtime and the beam runtime and everything that needs uh, as part of your deployment. And so I'm just uh, excited for that moving forward. Looking forward to that. I've been playing with releases off of the master branch. So I'm excited for it to come out. The other one is a tool called JQ. I have used this 
it is a uh, like a like a Java like a JSON query kind of language is what it is. If you're using something like Linux, it's already part of the built-in installed Ubuntu. You can brew install it on Mac OS. Uh, when I was been working with uh, REST APIs and I'm wanting to automate things uh, like with curl commands, like as part of build scripts and things like that, then it's able to actually make a, a, a curl command to a REST endpoint that returns JSON. And then using this query, this JQ library, I'm able to query down into and pull out the pieces of data that I need. And so it's something I found really helpful. So I was going to include that one. So that's it for me. Griffin, how about you? Yeah, I have a couple as well. Um, the first one is uh, the anonymity bibliography, uh, which is just a selection of uh, papers and anonymity. Um, so uh, I think kind of hand in hand with like security stuff uh, is, um, you know, privacy things. Uh, so something I'm really interested in is privacy, anonymity, um, things like that. Uh, so this is just a bunch of papers um, that I have not read nearly all of them, uh, but a lot of them are interesting. Uh, and if you start at the very beginning uh, and you think with an adversarial mindset, uh, you'll be able to find a lot of uh, vulnerable designs and you can see them get better as they go. Um, so that's kind of fun. Uh, the second pick, and not to you know talk too much about NCC Group today, um, but it is uh, some more research uh, from NCC Group. Uh, this is something that a couple of my friends did, uh, slash coworkers, um, but it's just uh, assessing unikernel security. Uh, and it's a white paper uh, that is really good, uh, really interesting, and it kind of fits in with that, uh, the notion of um, you know, knowing what guarantees you're actually getting, because uh, there's this idea that uh, unikernels are more secure for this reason or that reason. Uh, and the, uh, I think the paper addresses those. Very cool. All right. Well, Griffin, it has been awesome talking with you today. I, I'm glad we were able to talk about Sobolo. I wanted to help raise the awareness of the community that such a tool, that is awesome tool, that it exists. And if people would like to follow you online or connect with you, where would you direct them to go to do that? Uh, they can find my website, which is just griffinbyatt.com, or follow me on Twitter if they like uh, the combination of security, elixir, and scary movies. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's it for today. We hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.